0: Hi, I'm Greg Wilpert, guest host for the analysis.news podcast. Official results from the presidential election in Bolivia last Sunday largely confirm what the exit polls had indicated on the day of the vote, that the leftist candidate, Luis Arce, won with 54.5% of the vote. Arce represents the party Movement Towards Socialism, or MAS in its Spanish initials, and had previously served under Evo Morales as finance minister. Governments from around the world, including the Secretary General of the Organization of American States, Luis Amagro, congratulated Arce on his victory. The return of Evo Morales's mass to power in Bolivia represents a major blow to U.S. foreign policy in the region. The Trump administration had supported last year's coup against Evo Morales, which had received significant support from the OAS in legitimating the false claim that last year's October 20th election had been marred by fraud. OAS audits claimed that when the country's electoral commission halted the publication of the so-called quick count, which is not official, it used the opportunity to alter the official results. A detailed analysis, though, by the Washington, D.C. Center for Economic and Policy Research, which was later confirmed by researchers from MIT's Election Data and Science Lab, showed that there were no statistical irregularities to suggest fraud. Nonetheless, Bolivian opposition supporters, the police, and the military managed to force Evo Morales to resign on November 10th of last year, which then led to a nearly one-year reign of repression and violence under the far-right interim president, Janine Añez. And this affected anyone supporting Evo Morales or his party. Two massacres also took place during this time, which killed dozens of indigenous activists. Joining me now from Washington, D.C. is Jake Johnston. Who helped conduct the original research into the OAS's audit of the 2019 presidential election in Bolivia. Jake a senior research associate at CEPER. Thanks for joining us uh, at the analysis.news podcast today, Jake. Thanks for having me. So now that we have um, the uh, more or less official result, I mean, I think the completely final result isn't in yet, but I checked the uh, website for the uh, Uh, electoral tribunal, and it seems like almost all of the votes have been counted so far. Uh, So uh, now that we know what the official results by and large are, what do the 2020 results tell us about the OAS allegations of fraud in last year's vote?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, for starters, I think what it shows is that the coup and a year of repression was not enough to keep Mas, the most popular political party in the country from obtaining power, right? And I think that is the most important, uh, you, know, you know, lesson from from this election. But I, of course, we did learn a little bit more uh, about exactly what the OAS uh, alleged and how realistic that actually was. And so, one of the major um, allegations made in that OAS audit last year, and again, that final audit report didn't actually come out until a month after. Uh, Morales is, was ousted from power. But when it came out, they pointed to 226 tally sheets. Uh, these are you know, the records of the vote from individual voting tables uh, within voting centers. They pointed to 226 of these tally sheets in 86 different voting centers across the country. And they said that these tally sheets were evidence of an intentional and systematic effort to manipulate the results. And they pointed out to these tally sheets because uh, Morales received over 90% of the votes there and because they allege that the tally sheets themselves have been manipulated. Now, when we looked at this audit, uh, we, we found that the OAS actually didn't provide any evidence whatsoever that the, the tally sheets had been manipulated. And so I think it was already clear to us that this was not a legitimate uh, evidence of anything. But the results from this Sunday's election really make this clear. And so what we did was we looked at those 86 voting centers uh, in which the OAS alleged uh, that Morales' vote share had been inflated in 2019 or manipulated in some way. And in fact, in, in all but nine of those, uh, the MAS party did even better this year. So these are really small voting centers for the most part. So a, a small rural voting center with maybe two or three tables, so a couple hundred voters at them. Uh, and, you know, where those places where MAS uh, and Morales got 90% in 2019, they got closer to 95%, uh, 98% even this time around. I think it serves as a real clear indication that uh, there was really never anything to these allegations.
0: Hmm. Now, um, how, just how important would you say was the OAS's role in the uh, 2019 coup, and um, what do you think that uh, the new results and the comparison that we can make now mean for the credibility of the OAS election monitoring?
1: Yeah, you know, I think, you know, it, it, the OAS role was critical, right? And I think, you know, the OAS is given a tremendous amount of importance in the hemisphere from its electoral observation missions, right? But when you go back to 2019 and look at this situation, uh, the OAS knew what situation they were going into. Bolivia was a highly polarized situation, um, and you had opposition, leading members of the opposition, pledging not to respect the results of the election if Ava Morales won in the first round. They knew that was the case, right? And so when they put out this press release... Uh, The day after the election, undermining the results of the the quality of the results of the election. Again, as you mentioned, just of the preliminary results, the non-binding, non-official preliminary results. uh, They knew quite well what the impact of that action would be, and it was seized on almost immediately by these members of the opposition, who, you know, I think in many regards had no intention of recognizing the results of the election anyway. But armed with the findings of, you know, a ostensibly reputable international organization, uh, you know, I think that clearly had a, an extremely large impact. And then when you sort of look forward to uh, November 10th and when uh, Morales fled the country, you know, that was the day that the OAS released the preliminary audit um, of, preliminary audit of the elections. And again, you know, I think there was this, this at the time, right, there was a question, okay, did Ava win in the first round? Was it going to go to a second round? And after the uh, release of this audit, facing this tremendous pressure, um, you know, Morales actually did agree to hold a new election altogether, right? And even that wasn't enough. And I think that's really a a sign of that this was not actually about uh, the fraud or a new election or a clean election. This was about getting rid of, uh, you know, Ava Morales. and, And that's what happened.
0: Mm. And um, so now, the the OAS itself, you know, is uh, clearly, well, as you said, it had played a pretty large role. Um, but uh, um, what do you think is the role of the um, U.S. government, particularly the Trump administration, in all of this?
1: Yeah, I think it's an excellent question and something that, you know, I, I think in, in in more general terms is, uh, you know, critical that there's more investigation into this. And I, I think members of Congress have asked for investigation into the OAS, but I think that that also includes into members of the Trump administration uh, that may have played a role in this. And so what we do know, uh, there was a report in the LA Times uh, in January that the U.S. representative to the OAS, Carlos Trujillo, who is a sort of far right reactionary, aligned with Marco Rubio and sort of hawks on Latin America, had actually pressured the OAS observation mission to reach a determination of fraud, right? Um, And I think that hints, uh, you know, had a very direct role that the U.S. played. And you saw these allegations amplified by U.S. officials at the moment as well, right, when these allegations were being made in the aftermath of the election. So certainly they played an amplification role in terms of sort of pushing this forward. And I think when you look at both the role of the U.S. and the role of the OAS, it's not just their role in delegitimizing the the 2019 elections, but also the role in supporting uh, the coup government that resulted afterwards, despite, as you talked about, the sort of widespread uh, racist violence, these massacres and human rights violations that were happening. And you had, you know, the secretary general of the OAS, Luis Almagro, praising this government as finally restoring human rights in Bolivia after Evo Morales, right? I mean, this was like living in an upside down world. And you had the same thing from Trump administration officials. You know, even r- right before this election, sort of praising the government, uh, you know, the de facto government that you know took uh, multiple delays and massive protests just to force the government to actually hold this election. Uh, and you had uh, again Trump administration officials and the OAS backing this government uh, from day one.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I guess one other thing that. Uh one should probably call attention to is of course the extent to which the US government uh funds the organization of the american states the oas um i think it's something like 60% of its budget so it does seem and i think i mean uh, you know left governments in throughout the region and you know have historically been quite rather skeptical towards the oas because of that um, and I'm just wondering, what do you think uh, in terms of w- what this might mean for the future of the OAS? I mean, for a while, especially under the leadership of, of President Chavez, when he was still alive, there was an effort to kind of create a counterbalance with this uh, CELAC, the uh, community of uh, Latin American and Caribbean states. Um, and that seemed to be working for a while, but now the pendulum seems to have swung back again, You know, especially with the right wing governments in the region uh, towards uh, an increasing role of the OAS, it would seem. So, what do you think that this result means, more generally speaking, for uh, Latin American uh, perception of the OAS and its role in the in the region?
1: Yeah, I think there's no doubt that it has been a tremendous blow to the OAS's credibility, right? Um, And I think that that's the case. And you see that from, you know, questioning from members of Congress, questioning from the media, uh, questioning from researchers uh, like myself, of course. But also you see it in in the response from many governments in the region, Mexico. you know, just recently at the OAS Permanent Council this week, um, made a speech. The Mexico's representative to the OAS made a speech, sort of exorciating the OAS and El Magro for their role in the coup last year. And I think that's another uh, impact that we'll see from from the results of this election is now that the MAS has won and will be back in power. I think it will embolden actors to speak out more forcefully about what the OAS did. Right. I think it's become uh, quite clear, and there's now some real sort of momentum behind that. Evo Morales himself, uh, you know, called on on El Magro to resign just today, and uh, announced that he would actually be lodging a complaint with the International Criminal Court against El Magro. And so I think you do have, um, you know, sort of growing momentum uh, to to sort of push back on that. And I think there are uh, certainly, you know, efforts. And now, as you see you know, more progressive governments in Mexico, and Argentina, and now once again in Bolivia, that, you know, given these actions of the OAS, there is a real immediate need for um, alternatives, right? And that's, you know, alternative mechanisms for just dispute resolution, but also alternative mechanisms to observe elections, right? I mean, we've got really important elections coming up in this hemisphere, uh, and in and in countries where the OAS is actively leading regime change operations, such as Venezuela, right? I mean, who, who can actually trust the OAS to be a neutral observer in some of these places? And I think, you know, it's really sort of, uh, you know, shown some light on the true nature of the OAS.
0: Yeah. And I, actually, what you're saying raises an interesting issue of, you know, just the way in which uh, the governments in the region have shifted from left, uh, you know, you know during the so-called pink tide where the majority of governments in Latin America were leftist governments. And uh, now in the last 10 years, they've really switched back towards right wing governments but it's interesting when you look at kind of the uh, the results, uh, that is the, the political orientation and how the means by which they shifted. Uh, I was just going over the countries out of 10 countries that didn't make a switch from uh, basically more leftist to more right wing, in some cases far right wing. Um, they uh, In something like five or six of the cases, it was either due to an outright coup or to a semi-legal coup of some sort. For example, I mean, starting with Honduras in 2009 was an outright coup. Haiti, of course, uh, in 2010. Paraguay um, in 2012 against uh, Fernando Lugo. Brazil, 2016 against, uh, that is, disqualifying Dilma Rousseff and Lula from running. Um, uh, I mean, impeaching Dilma, of course. Uh, Ecuador with this kind of, you know, rightward shift of an elected government, uh, and then trying to uh, force Rafael Correa out and then now in Bolivia. So that is, you know, six governments really. And then there were only four others where there was, you know, a legitimate vote in Argentina, Peru, Chile, and Uruguay. Um, So anyway, you know, so this really points the significance in terms of the role that coups played in making this shift, I think, from left to right. Now, I'm wondering, uh, how do you think that this result in Bolivia now with a a new shift towards the left, uh, overcoming basically a coup, how do you think that might uh, portend for the future of uh governments that are, uh, or that is right-wing movements that are seeking to implement a coup do you think uh this will have a dampening effect on them well, well
1: i'm i'm not so sure of that right i mean i think you know there's a lot of reasons for for the exact opposite right i mean i think you know the reality is yes uh you know the right did lose this election and I think there's many actors, uh, you know, I think there's still concerns that whether or not there will be a real handover of power, right? I mean, I think there are powerful actors in Bolivia who have no real desire of, of giving that up. But I think, you know, when you look at the lesson that most are likely to take to this is that uh, they overthrew a government and had immediate support from the OAS and the U.S. government, right? And so I think, you know, it, it did sort of... Uh, you know, maybe uh, embolden certain actors, right. That would be uh, more likely to take this because they can see that they can, they can get away with it. Right. And so, I, you know, I think this, it, it's certainly, you know, the sort of courage of the Bolivian people to stand up for this and to sort of, uh, you know, democratically seize back their democracy, right. Uh, you know, tremendous, but I think, you know, it, it remains to be seen, you, you know, what the sort of lasting impression will be for, for right-wing movements throughout the region.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, so what you're saying also raises the question: of What will be the U.S. role uh, moving going forwards? Uh, and, and so, I'm just wondering if you if you have any idea as to first of all what the Trump administration might do now in terms of how it would deal with Bolivia and and left governments in the region, and then also uh, what about um, future President Biden? Should he be elected you know, in a couple of weeks? Uh, do we have any indication as to how Biden might uh, deal with the situation?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, right? I mean, I think, you know, in the immediate term, right, with with the Trump administration still in office, but also an election in the U.S. coming up in a couple of weeks, right? I, I mean, I don't think there's, uh, you know, Bolivia is not exactly registering uh, that. It'll get a mention at tonight's presidential debate, for example, right? But I think, you know, looking forward in terms of uh, the next administration, whatever that may be, you know, I think obviously if Trump wins re-election, you'll see sort of even just a, a deepening of the sort of policy of regime change that that administration has has openly. Espoused in the region over the last four years, right? But I think there are real concerns that even if uh, you know Joe Biden does win the presidency, that it, it, we're not going to see a drastically different foreign policy in the region. Right, I mean, I think you know the reality is that uh, you know Democrats have have objected more to the tone and style of Trump's policies in Latin America rather than the substance. And so you know it, there were very few members of Congress, or and certainly the Biden campaign and Biden himself, have not spoken out at all about either the coup that happened last year in Bolivia or the this or the abuses that have happened since. Uh, and that's in contrast to you know both Senator Warren and Senator Sanders, who both did speak up and uh, call this a coup at the time, right? And so I think you know. That that is a concern. You also have to look at who Joe Biden's advisors are right now on Latin America. Right? So one of, uh, you know, his his top advisors on Latin America is uh, Dan Restrepo, who is a top official in the Obama administration in the Western Hemisphere. Now, when he left government and had his own private consultancy, and he has been uh, consulting for the OAS and for Secretary General Almagro uh, for the last number of years. And as far as as I know, still is today. Um, It was actually just a few months ago that Restrepo was with OAS officials in the halls of Congress going around and pushing back on uh, congressional calls for accountability and for an investigation into the OAS. And so I think, you know, there are real concerns about, uh, you know, if if a Biden administration does take office, uh, again, how significant the changes in terms of US policy in the region uh, will be.
0: Wow. And do you think that um, kind of uh, activist movements might be able that is, you know, push support from social movements in the United States would be able to make a difference in that regard? I mean, try to push the Biden government, uh, Biden administration, you know, in towards opening really towards (laughs) Venezuela and obviously Cuba, I guess, is the other big one. Um, uh, How do you see that could uh, have an effect?
1: certainly. Well, I mean, I think, you know, there's there's no question that, that those efforts uh, have a better chance of success with a Biden administration than a Trump administration, right? And I think, you know, the other real key aspect here is what role Congress can play, right? And there are members of Congress who uh, have spoken out about this, who did call a coup a coup, and who have called the OAS to account for, for what their actions have been. Now, with a Republican in office, and this has been all Democrats who have been interested in this issue, uh, you know, those really that really hasn't gone Anywhere, But, you know, a a group of Congress people who who do care about an issue like this can move a Democrat administration in a much different way. Right. And so I think there are certainly more possibilities for for change and for reform uh, with a Democrat administration. But I think it is really important to keep in mind that, uh, you know, when you're talking about imperialism in the U.S. government, uh, Republicans and Democrats are, you know, maybe one's with a frown, one's with a smile or something like that. But it's uh, two sides of the same coin.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, let's see, hopefully you know th- that uh, you know, with a change in Congress and the presidency and then with activist pressure on Congress, perhaps more so than the Biden administration, that will make a difference. But uh, I'm going to leave it there for now. I was speaking to Jake Johnston, who is Senior Research Associate at CEPR, the Center for Economic and Policy Research. Thanks again, Jake, for having joined me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: And I'm Greg Wilpert, guest host for the Analysis.News podcast. Please visit our website where you can donate to keep this podcast and the website going. Thanks. Bye.